This is the fourth and final message in this month-long Christmas series that I've titled Meditations on the Incarnation, just by way of review. The first message was Meditations Concerning Specific Prophecies. And you'll remember back in the first part of this month, we considered uh, the prophecies, three very specific prophecies regarding God becoming man, with special attention being given to the virgin birth in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And then the second message on these meditations concerned sovereign pronouncements. And that message dealt entirely with who Christ is and what he came to do. And we were reminded from Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 that Christ is exquisite humanity. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And that he is eternal deity and that he is exalted royalty. And so we learned and were reminded much in the prophecy from Isaiah about who Christ is. And then last week in the third meditation, it was concerning sincere praise. And we were reminded, as I've said many times over the years, um, that the spirit of Christmas is the spirit of worship and that Worship is characterized by intrinsic motivation. Uh, that is, it's something that's not uh, uh, doesn't come at us, but it emanates from the heart. It begins deep within the soul of a believer. And there is enthusiastic participation. That is, <clears throat> it's not static. It has sights and sounds and scents and and uh, movement, and it's demonstrative. And it has majestic adoration. That is, it ascends heavenward. And so we considered much about worship centering around the Christmas story. This morning, we consider the final meditation of the incarnation concerning a strict process. Um, This is a bit more technical, uh, a bit more um, black and white, cut and dried, if if you will. Uh, But it is a very key ingredient in the entire uh, message of the Christmas story. If you'd make your way to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 40, Luke 2 Verses 21 through verse 40. Luke 2, 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, who was so named by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. 
And there was one Anna, a prophetess. That is the thoughts of many hearts. That is the hypocrisy of the Pharisees would come, uh, would come to full fruition. And really even we uh, understanding our own depravity in a lost condition because we could not keep the law as he did. That's the kind of thing that is being alluded to there uh, parenthetically. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years who departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and filled with wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. There was a process or a procedure or a very strict protocol which had to be followed when a baby was born. You see, Christ came to be the substitute for sinners, but he had to be an acceptable substitute. And if he was going to be uh, the sin offering, he had to be one without spot or blemish. That is, he had to keep that strict process, that protocol or that requirement. He had to fulfill the righteous demands of the law um, if uh, we were ever going to have hope. And there's three principles I'd like us to consider. First of all, Christ followed the law perfectly. The first thing we consider is Christ followed the law perfectly. Or uh, in this case, uh, his parents did uh, for him or on behalf of him. In other words, it was uh, followed to the strict letter of the law. And that's what Galatians 4, 4 says. It summarizes it, this very important aspect of God becoming man. It says, when the fullness of time was come, that is when God was ready, um, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. Jesus, the eternal God, um, the ancient of days, the one who never had a beginning, never have an end, one who was utterly God, yet also 100% man. And as with every human, he was under the righteous demands of the law. He had to observe that strict uh, letter of the law. He had to follow the, uh, that <coughs> to the minutia of the law in order for him to be that one that he came to be, namely that perfect substitute. Now, in our text, uh, the, it, there are six different um, uh, passages here in verses 21 through 40 that speak of four laws in the Old Testament. And just very quickly, if you would look at them, at the first part of verse 21, it says, and when eight days were accomplished for the circumcision. And then at the end of verse 27, you see um, that um, they brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law. What's that all about? Well, that, is, that alludes to the Mosaic law in Leviticus chapter 12 and verse 3, uh, which was a Jewish ritual um, of, uh, of circumcision of an eight-day-old Jewish boy. Now, the purpose of that, and you can study this, uh, this subject uh, throughout, um, was not for redemption. A, uh, a child was not saved, was not redeemed simply by going through this uh, ritual. As a matter of fact, in Jesus' day, um, all of the men, all of the Jewish men had gone through this ritual, yet uh, Jesus said, you are full of dead men bones. You are, you are, you are a, a whitewashed sepulcher. You are not the real thing. And so 
it did not bring redemption. What it was, though, it was a national point of identification. <clears throat> it was the parents were saying, um, this is our uh, son and our family believes and follows Jehovah God. And we are going to obey and follow the letter of the law in having this ritual done to be able to mark this one as separate or distinct from all of the pagans out there. He is a distinct person in our tribe, in our family. Jesus was uh, identified in that way according to the law. Also in verse 22, you see at the first part of verse 22, it says, and when the days of her purification, what? According to the law of Moses were accomplished. In other words, there was a very strict process that had to be followed. Again, alluding back to Leviticus chapter 12. And and you'll remember that part of the curse in Genesis chapter 3, part of the curse of the fall with Adam and Eve is that she would have difficulty in the area of uh, bearing and raising children. That was part of the curse. It would not come easy. And there was a very strict process which had to be followed for women who um, brought uh, uh, gave birth. They had to go through a ceremonial cleansing time following the delivery. And the law was followed in the case uh, of Jesus by his parents in this situation. Uh, there, and it was a very strict process which had to be followed. Verses uh, 23 and 24 give us another uh, point about him. Um, following the law perfectly. It says, um, as it is written in the law, every male that opens womb shall be called holy of the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law, a pair of turtle doves or two uh, young um, pigeons. Again, Leviticus chapter 12 and verse, verse eight, a very strict process for being ceremonial clean had to do, a uh, ceremonially clean had to do with bringing an offering to the temple following the birth of this child. Now, what was recommended, and it's interesting in this text, what's recommended in, in Leviticus is that a, um, a one-year-old lamb be brought without spot or wrinkle. And then almost parenthetically in the book of Leviticus, it's almost like it's not an add-on because God intended for it to be, but it's certainly not the preferred thing to do. Uh, it says if a family uh, simply doesn't have any money, if they are so destitute that they could not afford uh, to even purchase a lamb, let alone give all of their, their money to purchase it only to see it slaughtered and not uh, have any use from it, then it is acceptable. It is allowable for them to offer two young uh, pigeons or turtle doves or doves. And that's exactly what Joseph and Mary did, um, indicating uh, the, uh, the very desperate situation that they were in financially. Two young uh, teenagers. She's nine months pregnant. They just traveled a couple of weeks over very difficult terrain, uh, 60, 70 miles. And as soon as they land in Bethlehem, she is uh, there uh, ready to deliver. And they didn't have anything. Somehow they were able to uh, uh, get enough income, enough uh, resources to purchase a couple of birds. For, to offer uh, for the sacrifice. But they followed the letter of the law there very uh, uh, clearly, very perfectly. In verse 39, you'll see in the first part of verse 39, it says, and when they had performed all things according to the law of Moses. And so that's a summary statement on saying that Christ followed the law perfectly. And so you think, well, so far, so good. He through the instrumentality of his parents, um, passed that first legal hurdle. He cleared the bar in following the law perfectly. You see, the law of God had to be followed. The righteous demands had to be met. And in case you hadn't noticed, you haven't followed the law perfectly. 
Is that right? Amen. You haven't followed the law perfectly. I haven't followed the law perfectly. Just try on the Ten Commandments. Just try those on in your own life. Have you loved the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind? Uh, Have you ever uh, uh, taken uh, the Lord's name in a flippant manner? That is, said you belong to him and then in fact acted altogether differently. Or in fact, maybe even blasphemed the name of the Lord. Has there been a time where you've uh, disobeyed or dishonored parents? Has there been a time where you have pilfered? You've taken something that wasn't said something that wasn't true lusted after someone in an immoral way. Try the law on for size in your own life. You'll find, as I found uh, nearly uh, 30 years ago, I did not follow the demands of the law and I was guilty. For James 2.10 says, for whosoever, you say, well, I'm a pretty good guy. Well, try this one on then. James 2.10 says, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of it all. Have you violated the law ever? Have you ever transgressed the holy law of God? Only, only a, 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 a stiff necked, hard hearted, uh, almost lunatic would say, oh no, I've never done that. I have behaved perfectly righteously all of my days. Certainly you would not say that. I would not say that. And so I needed someone to follow the letter of the law perfectly Because the soul that sins shall die. And I needed someone who could come to the plate, who could hit that home run to use the baseball analogy when all I was doing was striking out. Amen. I needed someone to do that for me. You needed someone to do that for you. And so outside of Christ, I'm guilty and so are you. But he followed the law perfectly. Secondly, not only he followed the law perfectly, he fulfilled the law Completely. The good news of the gospel is that the legal process was fulfilled in Christ. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was presented at the, at the temple. An offering was given at that very same time. Verse 39 says, everything was met in this situation with him being born. He fulfilled the law of God completely in all points. And in fact, that's exactly what he said. In Matthew 5, 17, some 30 years later in the Sermon on the Mount, he said to those who would listen, he said, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Folks, the book of Romans says that the law is holy and just and good, but I am a sinner. I'm the one sold. I'm the one being buried under the condemnation of the law, that heavy weight, because I cannot, I can't rise up to uh, and be liberated from that in my own strength. And neither can you. But he did do that. And he lived above that. He lived on top of that. He fulfilled the righteous demands of the law completely. Christ so fulfilled the righteous demands of the law that a pagan unbeliever, a heathen, an infidel, even a a murderer, such as Pontius Pilate, openly proclaimed, I find what? No fault in him. John 18, 38, the apostle Peter emphatically described the Lord Jesus as having no sin. Neither was guile, that is deceit, found in his mouth. First Peter 2, 22. Christ came to completely fulfill the sacrificial system. All that the sacrificial system, it pointed to. That is that sin, had, there had to be an atonement. There had to be a covering. There had, you had to throw a blanket up on, over the top of that so that God could pass over, so that he could uh, look past that and not uh, judge that one at that point 
because of his or her sin. Christ fulfilled all of that, which is what he meant when he cried out from the cross. It is finished. The righteous demands of the law have been fulfilled completely. Nothing more is needed to meet that demand. Hebrews 10, 14 summarized it by saying, for by one offering he hath perfected, that is, he's made complete forever them who are sanctified, those who have been made holy, those who have come to him in faith and called upon him. Lord Jesus, I need you to apply your merits, the righteous demands of the law, which you have met. Apply those to my account. Credit those to my bankrupt account. I need you to do that. And by faith, all who will call upon him, they have been made holy forever for by one offering. He fulfilled the righteous demands of the law. Completely, aren't you glad? Aren't you thankful? Now, where does that leave you? Colossians 2.10 says, you're complete. (laughs) You are complete in him. In him. You have been made complete in him. It's as if when the the judge, the court looks upon your record, it sees righteous, fulfilled, completely. And it's applied to your account. Has it been applied to your account? Not if you're a church member, not if you've been baptized, not if you walk this aisle, not do you, do you know all of these kinds of, <clears throat> of, of um, religious things and gone through all of this kind of thing. Maybe you've tried to do the minutia of religion or uh, tried to uh, somehow ceremonially make yourself acceptable before God. But the word of God is clear. <clears throat> he is the one. Who had to do it. How was he able to do this? He was born of a virgin, having been conceived of the Holy Spirit. God took on flesh and became a human, but he did so without the sin nature. Now, my kids and I got into this discussion this week, uh, impromptu. Uh, I didn't anticipate it, I wasn't ready for it. But one of them said, Now, how is it that Jesus actually is human if he didn't have? a sin nature and there wasn't a man involved. How did that happen? And uh, I said, well, it was a miracle. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, which uh, parents, you know what that means. That's kind of a quick, easy way of saying, I'm not real sure how to answer this question. And I've got a demon. (laughs) And so, uh, um, and then I think it was uh, Priscilla who, uh, who said, yeah, but where did the Y chromosome come from? Literally, that's a quote. Okay, she was, he, he was conce- uh, uh, seed of a woman, Genesis 3.15. We know that's there. And, and, and Mary carried him. We, we know that's clear. Where'd the Y chromosome come from? Hmm. And I said, um, I don't know. And I don't think we can know. And then immediately my Adam says, well, there goes my faith. <laughs> Tongue in cheek, thankfully. And Priscilla alluded to, maybe it was like Adam, the first Adam. I said, okay, okay, we're going somewhere with this. I like this. And we kept discussing it. And I said, I've got it. In the garden, that was the first Adam. And Christ is known as what? The second Adam in 1 Corinthians 15. The last Adam. I said, the Y chromosome came to him just like it was given to Adam in the Garden of Eden before he had a fallen nature. You all like that? I like that. That's pretty good. Maybe we'll write a book. 
<clears throat> Chronicles of Bordenism. I don't know. However it happened, in his impeccable nature, as a man, merged, existing alongside of eternal deity, he completely fulfilled all that needed to be done. Now, what does does this play out with us? Thirdly and finally, not only did he follow the letter and he fulfilled it completely, Christ will forgive lawbreakers entirely. (laughs) Man, glory. I quoted Galatians 4, 4 earlier, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. The very next verse, you see, 4, 4 is the root, but 4, 5 is the fruit. Listen to the fruit. Why did he do it? To redeem them, that is buy back, those who were under the law, who were being crushed by the righteous demands of the law, who, and they couldn't fulfill it, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So that he they might say, come this way, child, I want you in, as my own. And makes you his own. You see, because he did go through that strict process of perfectly following and fulfilling the minutia of the law in all of its aspects and angles, he could then forgive us, redeem us. Folks, he paid a debt he didn't owe so that we might be forgiven of a debt we couldn't pay. Did you hear that? He paid the debt he didn't know so that you could be forgiven a debt you can't pay. And you can work for eternity and you don't make a dent in that debt. You don't even take, you don't diminish that debt at all. But yet in him, when we've been there 10,000 years, we've no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. Christ will forgive lawbreakers entirely. He was the God-man and he could offer the only absolutely acceptable sacrifice for the legal process to be fulfilled. Hebrews 9.12 says it in a succinct way. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For who's the us? For those who believe. For, for those who will not neglect so great a salvation, Hebrews 2.3. For those who, who, in fact, have received that great salvation by faith. For without faith, it's impossible to please him. For those who come to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them who diligently seek him, who genuinely long for him and yearn for him and call upon him and receive him into their heart. Those folks, he will forgive entirely and they'll be his. You're hopeless without his perfect life. And his acceptable sacrifice, as am I, to the degree that Galatians 3.10 says, Cursed is everyone who continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Have you continued in all things in the minutia of the holy law of God and in fact did all of that? No, then you're cursed. Scripture says you are cursed. The curse, the condemnation, the judgment of God hangs over you like a cloud, like a dark cloud, ready to uh, dump its, um, its uh, judgment, a uh, river of judgment at any moment. But in him, you're entirely forgiven. And no, there's not a storm of judgment. There's a rainbow 
of promise for you, for me, if you know him. We come up terribly short, but he didn't come up short at all. We can celebrate Christmas to a greater degree as we consider that the strict process of the law was followed. It was fulfilled. Yea, Galatians 3.13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. And so he did that and we are free from that. Very quickly, we're not gonna sing it, but I want you to look at the theology of hymn number 332. Open up your hymn book to 332. Hymn number 332. As I've said many times, when I'm preparing, when I'm studying, when I'm having devotion, most of the time, I've got the book about him, that is the Bible, and I've got the hymn book right next to me. Free from the law, oh happy condition. Number 332, Jesus hath bled and there is remission. Cursed by the law and bruised by the fall, Christ hath redeemed us once for all. Now we are free, there's no condemnation. Jesus provides a perfect salvation. Come unto me, oh hear his sweet call. Come and he saves us once for all. Children of God, oh glorious calling, surely his grace will keep us from falling, passing from death to life at his call. Blessed salvation, once for all, once for all, oh sinner, receive it. Once for all, oh friend, now believe it. Cling to the cross, the burden will fall. Christ hath redeemed us once for all. He followed the law. Perfectly, He fulfilled the law completely so that you could be forgiven entirely. Are you forgiven? Do you know him personally? Is Christmas a reality to you? Because you have accepted the righteous merits of his life, his death, his resurrection, and they've been, that's been applied to the, uh, the, the bankruptcy in your soul and the account that you couldn't meet or is it just been going through the motions, uh, maybe very familiar with the, 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 the terminology and even the storyline, but not real to you uh, in a personal way? May today, even right now, God in his mercy so grip your heart and squeeze you and put you in, in, a, in a place of recognized condemnation so that you with good sense that he gives you, spiritual perception that he is uh, making uh, you aware to. That is, the, the blinders are being removed. There's a quickening, a sense of waking up to the reality of where you are and that in his mercy, he would grant you a heart to turn from your own way and to receive him. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and you, the perfect, acceptable substitute. Because you met all the law, I can, by faith, simple, childlike, calling upon you from a sense of earnestness and genuineness. Because that's what faith is. That's what believing means. It means you really, I'm believing with all my heart, as the man from Ethiopia said in Acts chapter 8. Yes, Lord Jesus, apply your righteous life 
and your sacrifice, your resurrection, those merits of the gospel. Apply that to my needy account. Fill it up so that I can stand before you righteous, declared righteous. That is justified, not guilty, not condemned, but redeemed. One of your children. Lord, by faith, I am receiving you right now. Now that would meet, it seems to me, if it's genuine, that would meet what Romans 10, 13 says. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what will happen? Shall be saved. You'll be saved. Your life will be changed. You have a new nature. You have a new master. You have a new direction. You're new. (laughs) For if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And you'll be new in him. May God bless this truth to all of the hearts of those who don't know him and those of us who know him. We'd be quick to share a message, (laughs) a liberating message, the only liberating message that the world has and could ever could ever hear is life in Christ. Lord, I'm thankful for the truth of the incarnation.